in Romans 8. Neither high nor death can separate us. Hell and death will not defeat us. He who gave his son to free us holds me in his love. Neither high nor death can separate us. Hell and death will not defeat us. He who gave his son to free us holds me in his love. Sing with joy now, our God is for us. The Father's love is a strong and mighty fortress. Raise your voice now, no love is greater. Who can stand against us? Our God is for us. Sing with joy now, our God is for us. The Father's love is a strong and mighty fortress. Raise your voice now, no love is greater. Who can stand against us? Our God is for us. Amen. That's good news, isn't it? Our God is for us. Who can be against us? We have nothing to fear. You guys can have a seat just for a second. Well, good morning, brave remnant of sunrise. And those of you that are watching online, we're glad that, that's what I told somebody this morning, one of the good parts of COVID may be the fact that we can have church and we have Facebook Live and you can join us and not have to get out in the snow. Who'd have, who'd have thought? So anyway, I want to remind you, we have a few things going on. And as I go through this list, I want you to know that we're, we'll have information on all these things on, on, uh, on our website so you can keep up on details. So next weekend, we will be at EWC. We're having to change locations. We haven't had to do that for a while, uh, but we'll be up at EWC for the Sunday morning worship time. We'll also have that on Facebook Live if you're not able to join us. Um, because we are guests on EWC's campus, we'll have to follow their policies and rules, and so you'll need to wear masks coming and going from the buildings. You'll be able to take your mask off as we're socially distanced in the auditorium, but we'll, just, we'll have to follow along with, with what their policies are since we're guests in the building. So we'll have an announcement. We'll send out a one call so that to remind you of that. And then also we get to turn our clocks back next Saturday night. So that hour that I felt like I've been behind all summer, I'll get that back. And then I won't have an excuse anymore for, for being behind. So next week. Uh, marriage retreat. Next weekend is a deadline, so there's still time to sign up. Um, we don't know whether we'll be having it in Estes Park or not, but we'll plan on having it somewhere. So we'll uh, see what happens. So check out the website for that. And then we have lots and lots of ministry opportunities. One of the, the exciting things about this time of year as we get into Thanksgiving and Christmas is there's lots of, lots of opportunities for us to, to serve and minister to our community. And so I just want to mention three or four of those. Um, first of all, this Friday night, the downtown businesses are sponsoring the trunk or treat, the safety treat. And so if we have a couple people that would like to volunteer to sit outside the 1901 main location and hand out candy per the COVID regulations, then we're going to go ahead and do that. And if we don't have anybody that's interested, then we just won't participate. So that's an opportunity. And if, you, if you're interested in doing that, try to get a hold of Megan Parker today. 
and so we can get that organized because we'll have to look at what the regulations are so we can follow that. And then also Operation Christmas Child that David and Judy Cummings shared with us about last week. They're set up on a table in the back if you want to talk to them. There's information on the website. There's information in your bulletin. And so be praying about how God would have you participate in that. Also, we want to make you aware of the Kiwanis program to provide Thanksgiving dinners for, for needy people in the area. And you can donate food items or you can make cash donations and they have people that will shop for you. Uh, we're going to put the flyer for that on, on the website so you can get information. Um, if you have any questions, you can talk to Quinn Hunter, Kelly Shannon, Shanna Vargas, or I think Curtis Berkeley is also a Kiwanian. So the deadline for that is November 12th. And then if you recall in years past, we've had a sock drive that we have taken socks into the, to the prison out here. And this year we won't be able to do that because of COVID regulations. But Daryl Taylor has done some research and they have a Christmas card program that we can help out with at the Scottsbluff County Jail. And so basically we can provide Christmas cards and postage and then the, the inmates can fill those cards out, and then we can mail them for them, provide postage and mail them for them. And so if you're interested in doing that, you can contact either the office or Daryl Taylor. A uh, couple of caveats, the cards have to be no-frills cards. They can't have any glitter on them or ribbons or cellophane, just plain cards. And they have need for, for 100 cards and then postage for that. So I thought that's kind of a, a cool way that, that we can minister and, and help those that are uh, away from family and friends this time of year. So let's pray together, and we'll get back to worship. Father, thanks for the day, just the beauty of the, the fallen snow. And, and uh, Father, we think of, of how desperately there's areas south of us that need the moisture on the fires that have been ravaging. And, and so what is an inconvenience to us is your provision for others. And so we're grateful that you're the, the God who sees and knows. Pray, Father, that as we worship together this morning, that we would just sense your presence in a very real way. Pray that through your word and through our singing together that we would uh, just feel like we have connected with you and we have heard from you by the power of your spirit. So we commit our time to you. Look forward to our time together this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. Yeah, let's stand up. I just pray that these words would encourage your heart. The things we look at are not the things that God sees. God sees beyond all the things that we see. When we, when we see the discouragement, He sees the victory. When all I see is the battle, you see my victory. When all I see is the mountain, you see a mountain moon. And as I walk through the shadow, your love surrounds me. Oh. There's nothing to fear now, for I am safe with you. So when I find My hands lifted high, oh God, the battle belongs to you, and every fear I lay at your feet, I 
surrender those things that we are fearful of today. We just proclaim together that the battle is yours. We just thank you so much for all that you're doing. We thank you for your promises to never leave us or forsake us. God, just teach us um, that your promise always remains. 
In Jesus' name. We're going to sing this, this old hymn, Standing on the Promises. And I just pray that it would be fresh to you today as we start talking about this idea of promises this week. I'm excited. Standing on the promises of Christ my King Through eternal ages let His praises ring Glory in the highest I will shout and sing I'm standing on the promises of God Standing, standing Standing on the promises of God my Savior Standing, standing I'm standing on the promises of God Storms of doubt and fear assail. By the living word of God, I shall prevail. I'm standing on the promises of God. I'm standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing, standing, I'm standing. The promises of God. Sing these words I'm standing on your promises, and I'm standing on your promises. I'm resting in your love. I'm standing on the promises of God, of God. I'm standing on your promises. I'm resting in your love. And I'm standing on the promises of God, of God. Promises of God, my Savior, standing, standing. I'm standing on the promises of God. God, we just thank you for your living word. We stand on your truth, your promises today. Pray that you'd speak to our hearts and speak to everyone who's watching online today and just let us feel a part of your family today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I can tell you that I am really excited as we start this new series. At my very core, I'm an Old Testament guy. I love the Old Testament. 
I love the, the history and the stories and the characters and all the things that are there. Uh, I think part of the reason I love it is because it, you know, these people were people just like us. And so many times we have this, this image of Bible characters and, and we think they're super spiritual or something. No, they were just like us. And so the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of Joshua and its history that God worked out for the nation of Israel. And there's just principle after principle after principle that is practical for us today. I would encourage you, we're going to take four weeks to go through the book of Joshua, and it's a book that has 24 chapters in it. So you can imagine that we're not going to be able to read every verse, not going to be able to account for every story. And so I want to just encourage you to spend some time reading. Uh, you can probably sit down and read the entire book in 30 minutes or so, or just read five or six chapters a week as we go through the book, and you'll be able to keep up. And just like this morning, we're going to touch on the first four chapters, don't have time to look through every story or event. And if you kind of read along with us as we go through, you'll get, just get a lot more out of it. So the title of this new series is As I Promised. Because in reality, the book of Joshua is another step in God fulfilling the promise that he made to the nation of Israel about giving them a land to live in, a land that, there's, that they're own. And so as we start, as we go from the book of Deuteronomy into the book of Joshua, the first thing we have to understand is this is probably one of the biggest transitions in all of Scripture. Um, probably second only to the transition from when Jesus came and died from living under the law to living under grace. A huge transition. Let's talk about what that looked like. First of all, there was a transition of leadership. We went from Moses, probably the most significant spiritual leader that ever walked the face of the earth, short of Jesus Christ, to Joshua, who was his servant or his aide. Let me read for you in the last part of Deuteronomy chapter 34, uh, just this description of Moses and what he was. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent to him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his, and to the, his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. When I read that ver those verses, I think, how would you like to be Joshua? This is the guy you're following, that God talked to him face to face, all these miracles happened at his hand, and, and now you're the man. You're the guy that has to follow him. And so there was this huge transition of leadership, and, and God was going to have to, and, and we'll see this this morning, move in Joshua so that the people would follow him. The second thing that we see between Deuteronomy and Joshua is a transition of lifestyle. You have to remember that the nation of Israel had spent the last 40 years wandering around in the desert in the wilderness. They were in survival mode. Literally, they weren't doing anything but trying to survive and waiting for the sinful generation to die off as God had, had ordained, and they were just surviving. Manna every morning, six days a week, quail occasionally, water from the rock as God allowed. They were just in survival mode. And now once they cross over the Jordan River and they start into the promised land, now they become conquerors. They're going into battle. They're going to fight. They're going to be active. And so that's a huge transition going from being a survivor and just trying to survive until tomorrow until now we're going forth into battle with the Lord's help. 
And then probably the biggest thing that I see as a transition between Deuteronomy and Joshua is the transition of purpose for the nation of Israel. Remember, the 40 years in the wilderness was because of God's judgment upon them as a nation for not believing Him. They were a nation that was under the judgment of God for 40 years. And now they cross over the Jordan River, they cross into the promised land, and God is going to make them as a nation instruments to carry out His judgment. What an incredible change from being under God's judgment to being instruments of God's judgment. And they're to conquer people, and they're to burn cities, and they're to to go forth into battle. And so what, what kind of a transition would that be from being under God's judgment to instruments of God's judgment? And all those things are taking place as we go from Deuteronomy to Joshua. So the word we're going to talk about over these next four weeks is the word promise. And I, and I want, first of all, this morning to introduce you or, or, or lay out for you maybe a little defi- different definition of a promise than what you're used to. So if you look at the definition in the dictionary of what a promise is, it says, a declaration that something specified is expected to occur, a statement in time. We make a promise. But in reality, if you think about what a promise really is, it is a statement in time followed by a process, a process by which that promise is fulfilled and played out over and over and over again. And what I want us to see as we work through this book of Joshua is that this is a process by which God is taking the children of Israel through in which he's gonna, they're going to arrive at the end possessing the land that he told them that he would promise, that he had promised them. Think about this idea of a promise being a process. Think about your wedding vows, those of you that are married. You stood before a pastor in front of a guest, in front of a, a, a crowd, large or small, and you looked your spouse in the eye and you said, I promise from this day forth to have and to hold for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, till death do us part. A, declar- a declaration, a statement made in time. But then that promise becomes a process. And it's played out day after day after day within the relationship. In our house, it's played out as I see Bobby without her makeup and she smells me without my shower. We go through hard times and we go through good times and we have ups and we have downs and faithful to the promise. So the promise is a process. What about when you sign a promissory note at the bank? That's a an event that happens in time. You go in, you sign a note, I do solemnly swear I'm going to pay this back. They give you the money, you walk out the door. It sets in motion a process. A process over the next months or years that I make payments and eventually the note's paid off. And so the promise is really a process. And in, in the case of a note, I mean, there's months that you have the money to make the payment, the months that it's tight. It's a process. And so as we look at the book of Joshua, we have to understand that this is another step in the process of God fulfilling His promise to the nation of Israel. Remember, the promise of the land began back in Genesis chapter 15, when God said to Abraham, I'm going to give you the land on which you're standing. But before that happens, you're going to go into a nation, and they're going to mistreat you for 400 years, and then you're going to come out with great possessions, and then you're going to inherit the land. And so Joshua is a piece of the process. And and what I want us to understand and and really 
see this morning is that that is the case for every promise. It's not the, pro- not the promises that we make to one another as human beings, also the, the way that God makes promises to us, to the children of Israel, to us as His blood-bought children by the, by, the, by the blood of Jesus Christ. A promise is a process, and we have to understand that. And so this morning, I want us to look at the first three events that take place in, in early in Joshua and see how God uses each of these things as part of the process to fulfill the promise that He made to Israel. Um, I'm going to go through a lot of verses this morning. I'm not going to make a lot of comment about each one because I want you to get the kind of the, the flavor and the, the flow of the text. And so if you have your Bibles, we're not going to have all of these up on the screen. If you have your Bibles or have your phones, I'd encourage you to kind of follow along. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 1, 2, and 3, and 4. So you can follow along as you would. So Joshua 1, the first thing we see is a man and a mission. Uh, The man Joshua, the new leader of Israel. Verses 1 through 3 of chapter 1 begin the narrative. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Stirring words to the young Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. The leader that led Israel out of Egypt across the Red Sea faithfully in the wilderness for 40 years is gone. He's gone. No longer will he have influence or power or the ability to lead. He's gone. And so, Joshua, you're the man. And the first thing you have to understand is is that as I fulfill my promise to this nation, it's not about who's leading. It's about the fact that I promised that I would give you the land. And so the leadership is not dependent on a man. God gives Joshua some words of encouragement, and I can't help but think that this is probably what Joshua needed to hear. Verse 5, God says to, to him, No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Wouldn't that be comforting words? To think of the way God powerfully used Moses and now God says to this new young leader, Joshua, in the same way that I was with Moses, I will be with you. Gave him that assurance. The presence of God and God fulfilling his promise is the key. There again, not dependent upon the leader. And then God makes a statement through Joshua and then it's reiterated back through the leaders back to Joshua. And it's, and it's repeated four times in this first chapter. And I think, and there again, I think it's significant. God wants them to know that. Verses 6 and 7, we see it for the first time. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to your ancestors to give them. Verse 7, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it from the right or to the left. Then again in verse 9, the same thing is repeated. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you whenever you go. And then the last verse of that chapter, the leadership repeats it back to Joseph or to, to Joshua. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. 
And I think that's significant in terms of the fact that God is fulfilling His promise, and yet to those that are recipients of that promise, there's a responsibility for them. They need to be strong and courageous. The reality is they're not going to just walk into the land and everybody lay down their weapons and evacuate the cities. This is going to require battle, and it's going to require conquest and, and, and sweat and blood. It's not an easy process. And so God reminds them they need to be strong and courageous. And then the last thing that God gives them in this first chapter is what is the secret to success in this endeavor? Verses 7 and 8. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. So what is Israel's part? What is the nation's part in, in God fulfilling His promise? They were to stay the course. They were to continue to walk in the ways that God had given them to walk, to follow the law, to continue the sacrifices, to walk in obedience and in and, and, and holiness before God. Stay the course. Don't change anything about the, uh, your worship or your behavior. Stay the course. And God says you will be prosperous and have success. So in chapter 2, we see the second chapter or the second part of the narrative, another way in which God continues along in the process. In this chapter, we see a meeting and a message, a divine appointment that God set up for the, for the children of Israel, for a couple of men. In verse 1 of chapter 2, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Chittim, Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now here, I want you to think about the significance of what they did. They went and stayed in the house of a prostitute. If you were going to spy out a foreign city and you wanted to go somewhere that you would be not seen and not able to be accessed, a place, the house of a prostitute, would be somewhere where a visitor would naturally go in a pagan, godless society. And there would be no questions asked who was coming and going. And so the fact that they chose to go there was not an unusual thing for somebody visiting the city. But you see, as, you, as the rest of this chapter unfolds, we see that this was not a chance meeting. It might have been a safe place, a naturally safe place for them to hide, but God had other things in store for them as they stayed in the house of this woman with a bad reputation. Verse 15 of chapter 2, we read this, and this is significant as well. It says, For the house she lived in was part of the city wall. If you were a spy and your purpose was to find out about the walls and the protection and, the, and everything that this city possessed, don't you think that staying in a house that was part of the city wall would be a strategic thing to do? Absolutely. That was part of God's plan and provision for this trip and this event. What's the next thing we see? This was not just a random person that God put him in contact with. This was a woman that was in process. Someone that God had long before the time that the spies showed up at her door, had been working in her heart. She was, God had been working way ahead of their arrival. Look in verses 4 through 6. 
When the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. So the officials of the city recognized that there was somebody that had come into the city. They suspected that these men were there and were trying to spy out the city. And so they went to her. And what did she do? She lied. She lied to the officials and tried to lead them astray to take emphasis off of the fact that the men were really there. We find that part of the reason that she did that is because God had been working in her heart and she recognized the significance of who these men were and why they were there. Notice in verses 9 through 11, the comment that she makes. I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all, of, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sheha and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. And listen to her statement. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. God had revealed himself to this woman a poor reputation in the, in, the, in the city of Jericho. And she expressed belief in the same God that the nation of Israel was trusting to give them success. And so she had, a, and also in her statement, she had a message for them, a message that had to be a word of encouragement to these two men that they could take back to Joshua and the leadership. The people in this city are cowering in fear. Because of what we know happened at the Red Sea and all the miracles that happened with this nation in regard while Moses was the leader. And, and we're fearful. We're already in fear of what might happen when you cross over into this land. A message from an unlikely messenger and yet a message of encouragement that God used for these men. And then finally, a promise that these men gave to her for her help. Verse 14 our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. And so the account goes on to tell us that after, when it was safe, she let the men out and they lowered themselves down the city wall. She put a, hung a scarlet thread in her window on the wall so that when the nation of Israel came to overtake and conquer the city of Jericho, her family was spared. And I think it's also significant as you look at this woman, her statement of faith, that that's not the last time we hear her name in the pages of Scripture. When you look in the genealogy of Christ in Matthew chapter 1, you will see that Rahab was part of that lineage of Christ. Significant. When you look in Hebrews chapter 11, the heroes of the faith, those men and women down through the, the pages of Scripture that, that are listed as those who trusted God and did significant things and believed God, Rahab is listed. So this was not a random encounter with a woman of the streets. This was a divine appointment that God had put in place as part of the, promise, the process of fulfilling His promise to the nation of Israel. And the last thing we see that I want to look at this morning is a miracle and a monument. 
the crossing of the Jordan River, the third event that we see played out here in the book of Joshua. The first thing we have to understand is, is, is how the nation moved. Now they were going into a new place and a land that they didn't know, and, and they were going to come up against enemy forces and, and fortified cities. And, and so what was the plan for how they would be able to know when to go and stop the Ark of the Covenant? If you remember from earlier passages in, in Leviticus and the books of the law, the Ark of the Covenant was the symbol of the presence of God to the nation of Israel. The ark was built and it was placed in the Holy of Holies, the most holy place of the tabernacle. And only once a year did the high priest enter into that place and offer a sacrifice of blood on that ark of the covenant for the sins of the nation of Israel. It represented God's holiness and God's presence within the nation. And so now they were a people in motion. They were a people moving from one place to another. And so how, what was God's provision for them? How would they know that his presence was always there? Well, we see in the early verses of chapter 3 how they would line up. Verses 2 and 3 and 4. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you're to move out with your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you've never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark and do not go near it. That's significant. The ark was to be the thing, their focal point, because that represented the presence of God leading them into battle and into this new land. Notice the distance, 2,000 cubits. That's about 3,000 feet, a little over half a mile. Nobody other than the priests that were responsible to carry the Ark of the Covenant was to be within a half a mile of the Ark. We know from other places in Scripture that, that occasionally that somebody might touch the Ark inadvertently and they were struck dead. I mean, it was the presence and the power of God on display. It was a holy representation of God. And so it was, they were to follow the presence of God as represented in the Ark of the Covenant. God gives a message to Joshua about the significance of, of how the people would follow him. And I think this is, is really interesting because it's a continuation of what God told Joshua personally in chapter 1. Verse 7 of chapter 3, And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know I am with you as I was with Moses. So God had told Joshua, I'm going to be with you like I am Moses. Now he tells him, today I'm going to do something so that the people know that I am with you in the same way that I was with Moses. And we know from the rest of this account that that was the crossing of the Jordan River. He was going to demonstrate because Joshua was the one that was about to lead this nation into battle, into war as it were. They needed to trust him. They needed to know that God was with him. And so we see that God... The same way that he parted the Red Sea for Moses, he dried up the Jordan River for Israel to cross over. We see this in verses 15 through 17 of chapter 3. Let me find it. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground. I messed, I got ahead of myself. Let me go back a bit. Start with verse 15. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. 
It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Ezerathan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry land. I want you to see the picture, the reality of the picture of this crossing. When we think of the crossing, we think of the water parting and the nation going across. Well, remember what we read in that earlier passage. No one of the nation of Israel was to be within a half a mile of the Ark of the Covenant. And so in order for the nation, if, the, if they stood in the middle of the Jordan and the rivers parted, if the people went this way, it, they had to be over a half a mile away from the ark. And if they went on this side of the ark, they had to be over half. So there was over a mile of river that God dried up so that they could go across. And notice, when God does a miracle, He doesn't do it the easy way. It was in flood stage. It wasn't when the river was a trickle or small. It was in the time of year in which the water raged and was the highest point of the entire year. Notice the language is the same as, the, as parting of the Red Sea, that they passed over on dry land. It wasn't that they waded through the mud. It was dry, a miracle from the hand of God. And then Joshua asked them to do something significant, and that was to set up a monument or a marker for the nation to remember what had happened at that point. We see this in chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. And Joshua said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take a stone on his shoulders according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you in the future. When, in the future, when your children ask you, What do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. I was looking at some pictures this week, and, and perhaps next week we'll, we'll, I'll try to pull a couple of them up, but of what that monument might have looked like. It's significant that this monument was not made by human skill or by man's hands. It was made simply from rocks that had been rolled by the current of the river and were taken out and stood on the bank. It was a simple monument, a simple marker. And yet, like is true for any other monument or marker, it had a memo, an unwritten memo attached to it. And that memo was, this is a reminder of what God did here. The miracle that He performed here for the children of Israel. Here's Joshua's comment to the nation of Israel, the significance of this marker or monument. The closing verses of chapter 4. Verses 20 through 24. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful, so that you might always fear the Lord your God. A monument, a marker, 
And I was thinking this week as we have been in the, in the controversy within our own country about monuments and markers and things being torn down, the significance of a monument is not the physical structure. It's the event or the circumstance that warranted it. And sometimes monuments are made for, for things like this in which something good and significant and powerful and miraculous happens. And other times monuments are set up because of something that was bad and should never happen again. And that monument becomes a reminder that we don't repeat the sins of the past. But in the case of Israel, God saw it significant and important to set up a monument to remind the children of Israel what happened on this point. And so what I want us to see as I draw this to a close this morning is a picture of the process of a fulfilled promise. Here's the first three chapters, first three events in the book of Joshua as God starts them from coming to the edge of the Jordan River, brings them over, sets them up. We're told in chapter 5, as soon as they crossed the Jordan River, the manna quit and they began eating the produce of the land. The first step in God giving them that land. So how is all this practical for us? As I look through these accounts we've looked at this morning, I see an unlikely leader. I see an unusual mouthpiece. And I see a simple monument or a simple marker. And if you think about it, that same process is the way that God works in every one of our lives. The way He fulfills the promises that He has made through the pages of this book. The process of God fulfilling His promises. First thing I want to draw your attention to is the statement that Jesus made in Matthew chapter 18. God's promise, Jesus' promise concerning the church of Jesus Christ. What does He say? Matthew 16 verse 18. Familiar verse. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it, will not prevail against it. The promise of God is that He will build His church, and nothing, no power, not even the power of hell, will stop it from accomplishing that. Look at the same three things that we just looked at. Through the history of the church from the beginning until the present, is it has God used unusual or unlikely leaders? Absolutely. Look at the apostles. Look at the disciples that followed Jesus that became the apostles of the early church, fishermen and tax collectors and, and insignificant people in society, and yet God used them in mighty and powerful ways. What about unusual mouthpieces? Does God receive glory from, from people that we would not expect to have a word from God? Absolutely. Look at the writers, even of the New Testament scriptures, unlikely mouthpieces, and yet God chose them. Do we see simple markers of God's faithfulness and God's provision for the church down through the ages? The gates of hell have indeed tried to stomp out the church through the years, and yet as we look back through history, we see instance after instance, marker after marker, if you will, of God's faithful provision in this process of building his church and hell not prevailing against it. What about for us personally? Do we see that same pattern in the promises that God gives to you and I? Hebrews 13.5, we see the promise, I will never leave you or forsake you. A promise of God for us. I will never leave you or forsake you. 
as we go through dark times and difficult circumstances, does God bring unlikely people in and out of our lives to encourage us, to remind us of His presence? Absolutely. Does God use unusual mouthpieces, things, words of encouragement and a, a text message or a, a word or a phone call to encourage us and remind us of God's presence and reality of, of Him never leaving us? Absolutely. As we look back over the course of our lives, can we see simple markers and circumstances in which in our darkest days we sensed the power and the presence of God in our lives? Absolutely. It's the process of God fulfilling His promise, I will never leave you or forsake you. And then the last verse I want to draw your attention to is the promise in Philippians 1, chapter six, or verse 6. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. That's God's promise to every one of us that are His children. That the work that He started at the day that we put our faith in Jesus Christ, that He's going to continue that work. He's going to continue it. Is He going to use unusual leaders and unusual people to speak truth? into our lives, to give us direction, to give us encouragement? Absolutely. Is He going to use unusual mouthpieces and unusual circumstances to build us and rub off the rough edges? Absolutely. In reality, for each of us that have walked with Christ very long, we can look back and we can see spiritual markers. We can see places in which God did something significant to bring us on to the next step of making us more and more like Christ. And so I think it's so easy when we encounter difficult things and difficult circumstances, we say, God wasn't, where was God in all this? It's a process of the promise being fulfilled. It's only in the times which we feel that we need God that His presence becomes real. It's only in those times in which we, we encounter difficulties and God rubs the rough edges off of us that we see that He really is continuing to work in our lives. God's promises are a process. And we need to, be, we need to understand that and we need to be committed to it. And remember that, that just as in the nation of Israel, and we're going to see this especially next week, the nation of Israel went in and they had an incredible, incredible victory at the city of Jericho. And they had a horrible defeat at the city of Ai. That's the reality of our Christian experience. That's the reality of it. And it doesn't mean God has stepped aside from His promises. And it doesn't mean that it's all for naught. It means that's just part of God's process in our lives of fulfilling the promises that He's given to us. That's all it means. So I encourage you over this next week to just look at God's provision for you in your life and remember that this is, we are all people in process. Every one of us. We all have up days and down days and days that we feel like God loves us and days that we feel like we're all by ourselves. We are in the process of God fulfilling His promise. And because God made the promise, we can count on that. When I make a promise, I'm a human, I can have the best effort, but I'm a fallen creature. When God makes a promise, we don't have to worry about it coming true. He's going to do it. When He says He will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus, His working in my life, that's what He's going to do. 
We just have to be faithful to the process. God is a God of process. And in the process of fulfilling all He promised He would do, faith in the promises because of the promiser. Trust His process. Trust His process. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this morning. I just love these Old Testament texts in which we can just see how you worked and see how you spoke to people. And, and Father, I just pray for each one of us that, that we would experience the reality of feeling like through your Holy Spirit you have spoken to us, that you've given us a word of encouragement, that you've encouraged us on our path, that, that you've used somebody unlikely or some unlikely circumstance to, to point us towards you and your, the reality of your provision for us. Pray, Father, that, that you just would go before us this week and that we would see you and sense you and feel your presence in powerful ways. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Well, I, don't, <clears throat> I don't know about you guys, but um, I got a ton out of that. I just, I really needed that today. Just the reminder to stay the course, that God's promise involves a process. So what's that process look like in your life? Where's God have you at on the journey? I wrote down a couple things. To be successful, I got to keep, I got to stay devoted to him. He says, don't turn to the right or to the left. God is ahead of, of me. He's ahead of us working. He's always working behind the scenes. I wrote down that God orchestrates divine things for his glory. He, he's orchestrated different things in our lives and in our paths to, to, that surprise us. You're just like going, Wow. He works miracles. He's with us on the journey. He will guide us. And he only gives us that next step, right? He's just kind of like, you got to trust me. I'm with you, but I'm not going to show you more than what you need right now. So let's continue to worship as we, as we leave this place today, remembering the faithfulness of God. If you're discouraged today, I hope that God's word encourages you. Would you guys stand with us? Thanks to the Lord, our God and King, His love endures forever. For He is good, He is above all things. His love endures forever. Sing praise. His love endures forever For the life that's been reborn His love endures forever Sing praise Sing praise Sing praise Sing praise
Sunrise, have a great week. We'll see you at EWC next Sunday.